This episode is brought to you by Kith Studio, a 1,300-square-foot creative and community space in Syracuse, New York. Hi, I'm Alex Canavan, and welcome to the Cultivate Podcast, brought to you by the CNY Women's Network. Tune in every Monday for conversations with Central New York's finest. I'll be interviewing an array of entrepreneurs, executives, and changemakers, so be sure to keep your notes app handy. Here's your friendly reminder that no matter where you are, the sky's the limit. I like to say, you know, my market before was home and now my market is Central New York. Kind of knowing Central New York, being a little bit of an expert on what's going on, who's doing what, who's making change, who are the philanthropists, who's starting a business. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Cultivate Podcast brought to you by CNY Women's Network. I'm your host, Alex. I am super, super excited for this week's episode, so I'm just going to get right into it. This week's guest is the editor-in-chief of CNY Magazine. I really admire her work. I think CNY Magazine is a very well-done publication. And I'm super excited to announce here that CNY Magazine is also the official media sponsor of the 2024 CNY Women's Summit. The CNY Women's Summit is an event that we host every year in order to connect, inspire, and celebrate Central New York's women in business. Our mission statement this year is to confidently lead with purpose, resilience, and innovation. So we encourage all women who are looking to improve their leadership skills to attend. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a high-level executive, or running a household, or in the early stages of your career, every woman has a place at the CNY Women's Summit. We've got some incredible local leaders speaking at this conference. I'm so excited to not only bring their wisdom and their expertise to all of you guys, but I'm really excited just to listen to what they have to say myself. This year, we have Miss Amy Blyer-Long, editor-in-chief of CNY Magazine, joining us for the CNY Community Panel. And Amy has been the editor-in-chief of CNY Magazine since March of 23. Prior to that, she served as the content editor for five years. In addition to running Central New York Magazine, she's also the editor for a client publication, Central Upstate Manufacturing, which is an annual membership magazine produced by MACNE, the Manufacturers Association of Central New York. For college, Amy went to New York to pursue her dreams of becoming a magazine editor. It was there where she gained experience at impressive publications like Cosmo Girl, Bridal Guide, Sassy, Real Simple, Traditional Home, O at Home, and O, the Oprah Magazine. Central New York Magazine is an exploration and celebration of the people and places that enhance the life in our region. We're going to take you through just how she became the editor-in-chief of CNY Magazine in her long and very, very full career that she's had. We also talk about how to develop a tone of voice for your brand and for your content and the actual process that they use to plan out this local lifestyle bi-monthly print magazine. So without further ado, let's welcome Amy Blyer-Long to the Cultivate podcast. I think you're super inspiring. I think a lot of young women can look up to you because your career in general, the journey sounds incredible. It's it's a lot of work. However, I definitely think you can inspire a lot of people with your story. So let's take it back to the beginning. How did you become editor-in-chief of CNY Magazine? I wanted to be a magazine editor from the time I was in high school. And there's kind of a funny story about that. Initially, I wanted to be a spy and I was very invested in being a spy. I watched a lot of Get Smart on Nick at Night as a child. (laughs) And at some point, kind of mid-middle school, I realized that was actually an incredibly dangerous career path. I had a book I would train myself. And I think I say this as 
kind of a joke, but not really a joke. I think a lot of the skills that I was trying to hone apply to what I do now because it's an endless curiosity, a thirst for knowledge, really attentive to what people are doing, what's going on around me. And so also to give away my age, around seventh grade, the show Lois and Clark came out with Terry Hatcher and Dean Kane, And I got kind of into that show and I thought, OK, well, if I can't be a spy, maybe I can be a newspaper journalist. And so when I got to high school, I took a journalism class. It was a newspaper journalism class. And I liked it. I learned a lot. But I realized I don't think I want to be in the daily deadlines and, and whatever that might entail. And I had started picking up magazines like W, Flaunt, really some avant-garde magazines. I had also received hand-me-down teen magazines from my neighbor across the street. And I just really became invested in that medium, the colors, the different fonts, the kind of freedom and creativity in design. And so I just got really invested in that. And I said, okay, I'm going to New York. I'm going to be a magazine editor. When I was making my college decisions, that was my only focus was to get to New York and be involved in a program where I could get internships and make my way into that world. Junior year, I had an internship that I applied for at Cosmo Girl Magazine. It was the teenage spinoff of Cosmopolitan. And the day of my internship interview, the interview was supposed to be at 930 in the morning on September 11th, 2001. So in addition to being in New York on that day, my career is sort of inextricably linked to that day always. So that's always kind of in the back of my mind. But I, I, Wow. And it really, I don't have to get into too many of the details, but I was like, do I go to this interview? Because things had already started to happen before yeah. my interview. And I said, like well, right before. Yeah. Like I got out of the shower and my roommates were all crowded around the television. Oh. And I'm going, what is going on? And so we were all, what is happening? Do I go? Do I not go? And I said, you know what? It's not that far from where I am right now. I'm going to go. Worst case scenario, they reschedule or they tell me no. So I went and they were, of course, frazzled. And they said, you know what? You're here. We'll interview you. Seven minutes into the interview, the Pentagon was hit and everyone lost it. And they said, you have to go. You have to go and we'll call you or something. And so obviously everything changed that day. And a few weeks later, I hadn't really heard from them. So I followed up and they said, well, we gave the editorial internship to someone else who had a little more experience. And I said, OK, I certainly understand. And they said, because of the day, we remember you and we can make this floating position for you where you'll work in a bunch of different departments. Are you interested? And I said, absolutely. I want to learn every part of the magazine, not just the department I think I'm going to be in. So I worked in features. I learned to transcribe interviews. I got to do a little writing, fact-checking. I worked on celebrity stories. I worked in what they called the Winnets department, which was when they had contests and we had to pack up prizes to go to the teenage readers. It was a lot of fun. And yeah. I, I worked briefly in beauty, a little in online. So they really did let me flow, and I did a lot. And so I was very enamored with the whole process and just being in that creative type of office. I was also a women's studies major in college. So senior year, I had a different internship, got engaged my senior year of college. So I didn't interview right away for jobs. I waited till after I got married to kind of get through that wedding planning process and decompress because my senior year was very intense. I was leading clubs. I had a full course load for the double major. But yeah, so then once I kind of really started getting into, you know, I had some interviews, but it was a lot of just non-responses. And so I was getting a little frustrated I went to a party and saw a couple friends from college and my friend Melissa, who's 
a huge big wig in marketing and PR now. She's been at Tinder, OkCupid. She's all over the map. She's amazing. She said, I'm working at this very boutique PR firm and one of our clients is a small magazine company. Why don't you come work with us? Maybe you can get, you know, meet the editors and kind of get into the magazine business from that angle. And so I went and interviewed for the assistant position and I got it and I worked there for five months and very quickly realized that PR wasn't for me, but learned so many interesting skills about that PR side of the business because later I was going to be working with PR people all the time every day. And also just kind of doing a lot of research about brands and competitors and that kind of thing. And so it was really valuable. I left that job and I went to get a retail job just temporarily, I thought, to bring in some money while I was in the job hunt. Had some more interviews. A few things were very close to happening and then fell through for budget reasons, what have you. So I was starting to get a little discouraged. I was picking up more hours at the retail and they started, it was a blockbuster, and they started kind of moving me up the ladder. I became a shift lead, assistant manager, assistant store manager, and the district leader really wanted me to take over a store. And that was really kind of the turning point where I said, this has been fun. I like my coworkers. This isn't my career path. And so I said, I have to get in any way that I can, even if it means doing another internship at 24. And so I talked to my husband and I said, I might not make anything. A lot of them are unpaid can we do this? And he said, yes, thankfully. And so I applied for an internship, an editorial internship at a bridal magazine. And that was great because it was a very small staff. I got a lot of responsibility. I was fact checking. I was writing small features, doing a lot of research, uh, working very intimately with the features staff, sometimes the fashion staff, And I took every, in all of my positions, but especially even at the internship level, I took every task so seriously. One of my jobs as an intern was to make photocopies of other pages of other magazines for the editor-in-chief. And I would make a copy for myself so that I could look at everything and kind of study and figure out, like, what are my story ideas based off of this inspiration? What do I think that she's seeing here? Just to sort of train my brain in an editorial way. You are like, your work <laughs> ethic is, in. it's incredible. It's probably too much at this no, point. But <laughs> no, I mean. In my career. And that I feel like we should all be like this because the love for the process and the grind of it all and really like making the most out of everything like the research you were doing, that's what actually brings real joy. Yeah, I was just so invested in learning. And I said, I love learning. I'm never done. I don't think we're ever done learning. And so I was just very invested in learning as much as I possibly could. So I was in the features department. So I was writing and editing. And I really wanted to be an editor. I didn't really want to write. I can write. I'm not too shabby. But it's not my passion. But I really like helping shape stories and kind of take someone's work and help. Because every magazine has a voice. You know, the way they speak, the language, whether it's really casual or formal, whether there's slang or, you know, whatever, that's part of a magazine or a Mm -hmm. publication's voice. And I've gotten really good at adapting my voice and now others' voices to the publications that I work at. So I was in that department kind of honing those skills. And the features editor had to do some product stories. Two were jewelry stories where I was also, as an intern, I was entrusted to go to showrooms and pick up multi-thousand dollar jewelry to transport it to the to this photo studios. And that was so nerve wracking. There were a couple of times where I had some very expensive rings 
in a pouch and I'm on the subway going, I hope no one's noticing me right now because I just want to blend in. But it was really fun. And being on set for those and seeing, you know, the photographer and the editor tinkering with, you know, moving something a little bit, checking, you know, the angle, changing the angle of the shot. I was so energized by that. And just even being out of the office it's in, art. in the it's, studio. That's art right there. You're seeing it, art in action. Exactly. And so I said, I think this might be what I want to do. I think I want to work with products. I think I want to do this. And so my internship was coming to an end and I started setting up informational meetings and in interviews with HR departments. I ended up in an HR interview with Condé Nast, which of course is the publisher behind Vogue and Arc Digest and is actually, maybe a lot of people don't know, Condé Nast is an advanced publications, the company, which is the same company that I work for now. So Advanced Media New York is an advanced publications company. So Advanced Local is sort of these local media groups, those divisions, and Condé Nast is the consumer magazine division under the same giant corporate umbrella. And it's I kind of say that because I in my career in New York, I worked for Hearst, Meredith and Time Inc., which are three of the four biggest or at the time because Time Inc. was bought by Meredith. But at the time, three of the biggest other than Condé Nast. So now I've kind of had a little bit of it. the whole I've hit them all. portfolio. <laughs> so, <to laughs> so at that informational interview with the HR at Condé Nast, they said, well, to be a market assistant here at Condé Nast, we would want you to have another internship that's strictly product work, strictly market. And I'm going, oh, gosh, another internship. Can I do this? OK, I think I have to. I, I don't have a choice. If I want this to be the career, I have to. Take Did this. you learn anything about product photography? I did a little bit. At the larger magazines, they always hire a stylist. And yeah. so I was so a lot of my job was to call in items, traffic them, make sure the messengers had everything to get to the shoot, check everything when it's there, unpack it, set it out for the stylist so they can work with it. So it's a shame that the one magazine I was working at, Oh at Home, it's a shame that it closed when it did because my boss was just starting to invest in teaching me how to look through the camera and kind of figure out some of those angles. And I was really excited about getting that education. And just to backtrack, because I skipped ahead a smidge, but just so I said, okay, I have to get another internship. There was a position, a style intern position at, oh, the Oprah magazine. And it was kind of funny because I had actually applied for that internship twice in the past and hadn't heard anything. But this time I wrote a very passionate cover letter talking about how, you know, I had just had this previous internship experience and I was so excited about being on set and exploring that and they loved it. And so they called me in, had a great interview with the style editor and the creative director. And so I started there and I was working in the closet, which is just a giant room full of shelves where I was in charge of managing every product that came in and out and knowing everything about the product, whether it came in other colors, what's the price. And we were talking a little bit earlier about when you have someone who works with or for you kind of being able to read your mind. A lot of that job was reading the creative director's mind and knowing that he was going to ask all these questions. So trying to prepare the answers in advance and just being able to say, if you don't know, say, I'm going to look that up or I'll find out right after this meeting, you know, and just being prepared in that way. Because he has an encyclopedic knowledge of fashion, beauty, home, everything, and really knew all the companies, the kind of hierarchies. And so the experience that I got researching companies in my PR job was so perfect for that because I knew how to do it. 
And so he really enjoyed that I had that knowledge. And so that really helped. And because we had that great relationship, he said, I really want you to have a full-time job. There's nothing at Oprah right now, but they had a spinoff, an interior design focused magazine. Interior design is actually one of my sort of passions on the side. And so he said, can you hang out, keep working for us? We're going to try and get you in there. And I think a couple of months later, after that conversation had started, somebody at the assistant level left for a different job. I went down and interviewed and they kind of said, when can you start? And so I transitioned to the full-time job at O at Home. I was a style assistant and, well, actually I was an editorial assistant first. And I said, okay, I'd rather be in style department, but I'll take this. And part of the job was to go through every story and get the credits for every piece of furniture, the fabric, the wall coverings, the rugs, everything. And that could get a little tedious, but it actually worked really well for me because I'm very detail-oriented. We had a credit sheet that we would send to companies or to PR people and say, okay, this, and with a little photo and say, this rug appeared in this house. What is the style name or number if somebody wants to buy it? And that's all the shopping information that we would list in a section in the back but of the magazine. That's so much work in and of itself. It was a lot of work, but it was it's so wonderful because I got to a make a lot of contacts with different PR people and, yeah, and people sure. at the companies directly. But I also learned the industry so much. And again, kind of knowing the companies and really starting to recognize, which I do in my current role now, I could see a table and be like, oh, that's from so-and-so. I know who that is. And starting to recognize the kind of the styles of certain companies, what kind of products they had. So that was a lot of work. And at some point, maybe six months after I had started that job, the company brought in a new editor-in-chief and she brought a bunch of her own people in to the top editor positions. So when I met my new boss and she kind of said, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm I'm doing these things, but I would really like to get into the style department and, and working with the products. That's kind of what I was hoping my path would be. And she said, well, we still want you to do this, all the credit work, but we'll kind of let you tag along on some things. And I love her. She's brilliant. I could tell that she really didn't think I had it in me. She didn't think that I could do the style work. And so I had to prove myself, which, you know, for anyone who's had to do that, it kind of just gives you a little fire to work a little harder to really show them that you can do that thing. And I remember we were in a product meeting and a new brand had come out and I said, oh, that's the new sister company to Vera Bradley. And she looked at me and she said, how do you know that? And I said, well, I do the credits and I've done the research. And she was so impressed that I knew that. And she said to every, you all should know that. You should know what brands are related to which brands. And so from then on, she kind of gave me more responsibility and I was able to go to the trade shows. There are trade shows. It's called New York now, but it used to be called the New York Gift Show. And it's a huge multi-day trade show where all of these different vendors and companies come to show their products. And it's for press to figure out what we might do future stories on, but it's also for boutique owners and shop owners to come make their orders for the following months. So just kind of continuing to increase my knowledge, we worked on a show apartment on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. That was a great experience that we were designing kind of as a team, not me so much, but I got to, again, kind of tag along on that. And I was just having a lot of fun. And shortly, almost right after the show house opened, the company called us all in and said, we're shutting the magazine down. 
and we were all terrified. <laughs> we kind of knew it was coming, but it didn't make it any less scary. And so, you know, we're all kind of going, what are we going to do? And there was another magazine in the corporate portfolio that they were moving the editor-in-chief to. And so she was taking her top-level people, and then she was taking a few other people. I wasn't one of them. And I felt very hurt. And I was like, why? I'm working so hard. Why wouldn't they take me too? But my boss called me in that afternoon as we were all packing our desks. And she said, I have a friend, a former colleague who's at Traditional Home. She's the head of the home market department. And she does this kind of work. I think she's looking for someone. I think she has a temp employee right now, but this person's going to get a master's. So they're going to be leaving soon. Go talk to her. So I set up an interview. She was lovely. It seemed very exciting. And so she said, when can you start? And I said, after Thanksgiving, if that's okay, because this was the beginning of November and I had already made plans to come home here. So I guess very beginning of December, I started that job and worked there for two and a half years. And it was technically a part-time job, but again, had a lot of responsibility. It was a full-time job. It was a full-time job, <laughs> uh, but they were great to me and they really made me feel like part of the team. And so I was in a, I guess I was an assistant market editor and then kind of worked my way up and ultimately was, my title remained associate market editor, but about a year into my time there, she left to take a different position and they didn't replace her. So I kind of took on all of her, a lot of her responsibilities. Some of them were given to other people, but I had a lot of the responsibility and I ended up being the only person still based in New York City that was covering all the interior designers, all the showrooms. So I would go to what's called a trade showroom, which is fabric, rugs, wall coverings, all of these people that only show their work directly to interior designers. And the interior designer is the one that brings it to the client. That's so fascinating. It really was. I learned so much. And interior designers are incredibly fascinating people to be around. I have a teenage daughter who's interested in becoming an interior designer. And so I've been kind of talking to her and saying, just based on my knowledge and my conversations from those interior designers saying, you know, you're kind of a therapist, you're kind of a psychologist when you're working with them because they might have issues that they're working through. You know, maybe it's someone who just got divorced and it's their first home, you know, a solo home or, you know, their family's expanding and they need to, you know, reimagine the space for whatever their life is now. And also they have budgets and, you know, a lot of times people's dreams don't match their budgets. And, and so it's managing that piece of it. So it was just really fascinating to go and to go to some unbelievable homes and be in these really rich, luxurious spaces and kind of just soak it all in and feel, you know, like the velvet sofa or the grass cloth wall covering. It was just very inspiring. Yeah. And I enjoyed it a lot. I love it. And so I did that for two and a half years. And around the sort of two-year mark, I started thinking, okay, is there more? Should I be working? Not more because I was already kind of working full-time, but I wasn't really being paid full-time. And so I said, okay, if I'm working full-time, I'd like to be paid full-time. And so I had very frank conversations with the editor-in-chief. She was very on board with it, but they were having trouble getting, again, I don't know why this is always an issue. I guess it's publishing, just having trouble getting the money for the position. So I started looking around. I interviewed at a couple places. And while I was doing that, I got headhunted by HR at Time Inc. for a position in the home department at Real Simple. And I'd been reading Real Simple for a long time. And so I said, okay. What is that like? What is it receiving that that email or that letter? It was letter. extremely flattering. Part of it was because someone 
who was the home editor at Real Simple at the time, she had been at O at Home right before I got there. So she had left for Real Simple maybe a couple weeks, maybe a month at the most before I started at O at Home. So we didn't overlap, but we had some contact while I was still upstairs at Big O, we called it, at Oprah Magazine. So she knew who I was. And so when they were sort of headhunting, I think she might have vouched for me a little bit, which was helpful, but I still went through the interview process. I had to do something called an edit test, which I had done before. I did for a good housekeeping interview. I did it for traditional home. And it's basically they ask you, pitch a bunch of story ideas and then flesh some out. And for this position, it was pick a story idea and then show us what furniture you would put there because they want to see if you understand their aesthetic, their voice. And so that's part of where it comes into understanding the voice and being able to do that. So I went to the library, pulled every real simple, studied them and said, okay, they like to find these sort of pieces. So I did mine on bedside tables. And I had different aesthetic styles. You know, maybe this one is more cottage, this one's more upscale, whatever the styles were back in that point in time, and different price points because I they did that all the time. And so it's really just being able to understand the audience, the content, the voice. That's a huge part of the job. So I got that job and that was a lot of fun. And while I was doing that job, my husband and I, we'd already started our family. We had one daughter, but we started decided to have our second daughter. And so I got pregnant. And at the same time, you know, whenever we would come home for holidays, we miss our friends. We would love to have a support system now that we're having children, especially because we're both working full time and so many hours. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I will say, because while I was working at Real Simple full time, I sort of had a couple instances where my daughter was sick and, and kids always get sick at the most inopportune times. You can never help it. But she got sick on a day where I had probably one of the biggest photo shoots of my life. And this is well before remote work was a thing. So my husband's job wasn't that flexible and started to call my boss and say, I don't think I can come. I have to be home with the baby. And I kind of got yelled at a little bit. Like you did all the work for this. You know, all the products that are coming in. You have to be here. You cannot miss this. And so then you're like, okay. And you feel so torn. And so I had to sort of bully my husband a little bit into staying home. And I said, I I have to be at this. This is not something I can miss. It's not optional. And so that shoot went very well. But I, you know, that was sort of where you realize like, okay, is, is this the right job balance? Because, and there were a lot of working parents there, but, you know, you have to figure out, is this working? You know, is there something different that we can do? So kind of all of that was coming to a head and my husband got a job offer here in Syracuse. And so we said, okay, maybe this is the time to move back. And so we did in um, June of 2012. I was still pregnant, so I wasn't actively looking for a job. So I had my toddler and I was kind of putting feelers out. I thought I was very scared to lose the career that I had worked so hard for up to that point because unbeknownst to me, Syracuse has a magazine, but I didn't know it yet. And so I thought, what am I going to do? How am I going to maintain this career? And so I thought, all right, I'll do a lot of freelancing. Once I have the baby, I'll go back and forth to New York all the time, which now I understand was quite unrealistic. And so I did start freelancing. I freelanced for a few issues for Red Book magazine, which is also no longer out. And then they had a kid-focused special issue that they were putting out. So I worked on that. And that was fun. And I got to work with some different editors. And I did end up 
going back to that New York trade show to scout for things there just so that I could stay on top of it. Because it's hard if you are out of it and you're not seeing the products, how can you call things in? How can you know what's trending? And that's so much of what that is, seeing the patterns and seeing, you know, oh, I'm seeing a lot of camouflage. I'm seeing a lot of embroidery. Maybe that's a thing this season. It's the same thing with social media. I mean, you absolutely you manage the social media account as well, right? I do. And yeah. being on social media is invaluable for this job because, you know, we're such a small staff. And, and I, it's so much of our time. It's a lot of time. I like to say, you know, my market before was home and now my market is central New York. Kind of knowing central New York, being a little bit of an expert on what's going on, who's doing what, who's making change, who are the philanthropists, who's starting a business. My mom told me about Central New York magazine. So I got a couple copies and I said, oh, I could probably write for this. And so I'd reached out to the editor and said, hi, I'm an, I'm an editor from New York. I just moved back up here. Do you need a writer? And Linda Bean, my former editor, had just been elevated to the top editor position at Central New York Magazine and said, actually, I need someone who can write home stories. And so let's meet. So we met at the Starbucks in Armory. And I, I walked out with an assignment to write a story about a and b in Auburn. And just kind of to the question about juggling parenthood, my baby at that time, this would have been March 2013. My baby would have been four months, I think. We hadn't, I mean, we were, I was breastfeeding. So my mom and I and the baby drove out to Auburn. We got there early. I am extremely grateful that my parents are up here and have been as helpful as they have been. My kids are older now, obviously, but I started freelancing for the magazine and kind of juggling that. And shortly after that, because of some financial issues with my husband's job, I had to take another job to supplement our income. And so I ended up working at Sky Armory and the events company, which now is a downtown event venue. But at the time, it was an event planning company for they planned at other venues. They didn't have their own venue yet. Yeah. Nicole Samola started the company, I want to say, 96 after her kids went to school and she wanted something to do. She had a retail background and was like, I need something to do that's flexible that I can kind of do around when my kids are at school. And so it started from there. And as she, and, and part of this was sort of my buy-in to the brand because I was going to end up being kind of the brand ambassador while I worked there. She had this vision while she was doing events at other venues and said, oh, I like that, but I would do this differently and just kept collecting these ideas and formulated the idea for Sky Armory. And so I initially was just supposed to write a few blogs, you know, kind of use my writing skills to write blogs. It was supposed to be a 10 hour a week job. It very quickly was 20, 30. And as I kind of kept working, they said, oh, well, we also need to launch from scratch everything for Sky Armory. So it was blogs. It was social media. So I launched all of that from scratch. I had a little experience running the Twitter for traditional home because I was the youngest person on staff. So that's why they put me in charge of it. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun. I really enjoy my favorite part about social media then and now is the conversations. And we would host or we would sort of co-sponsor as the magazine, these interior design chats. And so I would get to weigh in and it kind of made me Feel, you know, you have that imposter syndrome a little bit, but the more I did it, the more I was like, oh, I do know what I'm talking about. That feels really good. <laughs> That's know? a really interesting skill to have, I think. Absolutely. And I think, too, you know, being an editor, you know, if you're saying, oh, this is the trend this year or this is what people are doing, like you sort of have to be an authority and mm -hmm. you have to. So you have to project that authority and be able to be convincing in that. And so I did build that feeling and that skill. And so that was a lot of that was good. So now 
You're at CNY Magazine. We're almost there. Yes. So I'm working both jobs, which was a little exhausting because I would basically work at Sky Armory while my kids were at school. Nicole and Kevin were amazing. They would let me because I was technically part time there as well. So I would get my kids on the bus, go to work, leave to get them off the bus. And then when I was home, I was working on the freelancing stories. So at night and on weekends, I was conducting interviews and Sometimes I was there for photo shoots and kind of being a part of that. And I kept telling Linda, I really want to be on staff. I'm much more comfortable on staff. I'm more energized by being on staff versus just working alone in my house, you know, my home office. And it just kind of wasn't a possibility. Behind the scenes, advanced media was starting to do more with what we were calling niche publications for, I'm not sure of how long, but for a very long time, we were the kind of editors and publishers of the Syracuse Visitor's Guide, the print version. And we also have a magazine, which I'm currently the editor of as well. It's the Manufacturers Association of Central New York, MACNE. They have a member magazine, an annual magazine, and our company had taken it over a year before I started there. But with these additional magazines, they could hire a second person. And so my co-editor, MJ Kravick, had come on about six months before I became full-time. I actually had applied for the job also that previous August, but they knew MJ because MJ had worked at the company before. So they brought her in and I was like, oh man, that was it. I don't know if I'm going to get this. And then about six months later, Linda said, can you come in? And, and I had come in sometimes for meetings with her when she had assignments and things. So I came in and it was to the new office. They had just moved in and she said, I'm kind of done with this. I'm ready for a new challenge. I'm going on to something else. You should put your application in. And so I went home and immediately brushed up the resume, sent it off, started calling the one hiring person that I knew the phone number of. And I said, I need this. I want this. Can I please, you know, can we talk? And so they called me in and I had clips from my national magazines and kind of talked about my vision and my understanding of the magazine. And really, it's such a blessing to work at this magazine because when I lived in Syracuse first, I was from fourth grade to 12th grade. High school, my main goal was to get out and go to New York City. I didn't yeah. understand. And now it's funny to me because one of the things like I was on the track team and we would have a meet against West Jenny. I had no concept of where West Jenny High School was. I didn't understand that it was in Camillus. I thought Beeville was so far away from where I lived. I just didn't get it. Working on this magazine has given me such a knowledge and appreciation for Central New York and all it has. And so it makes me really excited to produce the content that we do to share that with everybody else. So finally, January 2018, full time. So let's get into what makes of actual print magazine so special and so vital, even though we're inside the digital world right now? I think the biggest thing right now is it's kind of an oasis in the media landscape that we're in now because there are no pop-ups. There's no video that just starts blaring at you. There are advertisements and we're extremely grateful for those advertisers because they help us do what we do. But it's very integrated into the publication it gives you a chance to slow down. I think we're rushing. We feel like we have to be always posting or making comments on things or making our own content. And magazines are a whole different kind of content. And sometimes it lends itself to digital and social media content. And sometimes it's harder to translate. But I just think it's so special. And niche magazines, which we are, which means that it 
instead of a sort of a general interest magazine, which covers a lot of topics, a niche magazine is more focused. It could be beauty. It could be wellness. It could be cars. You know, for us, our niche is central New York. So we do cover a lot of topics within that, but our niche is central New York. And niche magazines have been rising in popularity. So print is still struggling as an industry. I fully believe print is not dead. I don't think it ever will be. I also am very nostalgic about magazines and just sort of that experience. My walls were also plastered with Jude Law and other pictures and just anything that I found inspiring in any way. Jude Law. (laughs) I do find him attractive, but it was actually more about the framing of the shot, which to me was a very magazine editorial shot. So it was a picture of him. But in the bottom right of the frame, you could see a female hand holding up a small mirror. And in the reflection of the mirror was his first wife, Sadie Frost. And so it was him and her. And it was black and white, which I found very striking. There was just something about that composition. And to me, that was very, it was almost more about the editorial quality of it. Yes, it was art for you. Exactly. More than him. You just appreciated the photo. Not It didn't have as much to do. But as you said earlier, I do run our social media. I do think it's very important to be on there so that people just can understand the kinds of stories that we're covering and the kind of topics. And also just being on there is such a great way for me to crowdsource ideas. I'm in the Syracuse subreddit all the time, seeing, you know, what kind of things are people asking for. I follow the Where Syracuse Eats Facebook group pretty closely. Just, you know, are people asking for the same type of thing a lot? And what are the answers that locals are giving them? And I kind of stash this all away. And I have a Microsoft OneNote, that app, I have tabs and tabs of story ideas and things to kind of follow up on. And it's really fun for me because if we've done a story and then later I see someone ask a question and then I'm able to say, oh, Central New York Magazine covered that and here's the link to the story, that makes me feel so good because we're useful. And that's really what we want to be. We want to be a very useful, entertaining, inspirational resource for people who live there, live here rather, because I see a lot of times people will say, oh, I didn't know we had that or I didn't know that existed here. And I think people just kind of, especially now that so many people work from home, you know, maybe they're going out less or exploring the suburbs or the communities, the city neighborhoods around them less. And so they don't know. And so if we can do that legwork, if we can do that research and present it to them in a beautiful way with really vibrant photography and clever, you know, wording, then that makes me very happy. Do you guys hire out your own photographers and have people go out and shoot on behalf? Sometimes. We don't have a huge budget for photography. Um, We have been growing the budget, which has been a godsend for me to be able to hire out more things. But we have a huge, uh, we have a lovely stable of very talented freelance writers and then a few photographers that we work with regularly. And now I've been working with each of them for about five years. And so they're very in tune to what I'm looking for. And, you know, we'll kind of look in the back of the camera and, One of our photographers, Elena Patricus Beckett, she and I do a lot of these holiday food stories. We just did one on cakes. And she always says, you always know when you have the shot because she'll take all these shots and then I'll look at them and I'll go, that's good. And she'll go, we're not there yet. And I said, I don't think we're there yet. And so we keep playing and she calls it a game of inches, which makes me laugh, but it really is. It's just sort of just that little tweak of an angle up or down or, you know, maybe just a shift in the lighting a little bit. And then I say, that's it. I, mm-hmm. That I feel that. And and that's 
still really fun for me to feel that and to say, I think that we're getting it now. What you do is so admirable, like in the creative realm. I'm just obsessed with everything that we're talking about. And I really want to know what does it take from a brand perspective to build a tone of voice? I think part of it is starting, and I think anyone in marketing has heard this, having a persona to be speaking to, kind of knowing who your audience is, because that will help inform how you speak to them. You know, if you're speaking to C-suite executives versus teenagers, you're going to use different language, different level of formality, slang, you know, the topics of interest are likely going to be very different. Um, And so I think that really helps formulate that. Certainly, you know, teen magazines, it's very like on that teenage level. So, you know, you're not using seven syllable words. You're trying to keep as current as possible because especially teen culture, it's constantly changing. And yeah, so for our voice, we want it to be it's I say that it's a little bit sophisticated, but I think it's still sort of on no more than a high school level. And that's sort of the level that you often want to be at, like an eighth grade level of vocabulary, because it's more accessible. And you're not gatekeeping any of your info. And so sort of just keeping an eye on, you know, okay, the writer used this word or I really want to use this word. Is it a word that they'll know or are they going to have to go to the dictionary? And is that a barrier to, you know, does that pull you out of the content or can the context of the article inform what that means? And then you are like, oh, I learned a new word. And also I spend a lot of time in the thesaurus because I'm also very attuned to, oh, we used the word make three times in this paragraph. That's too many. I don't like how that flows. I think we can be more creative than that. And also thinking about active voice. Oh, at home, the second editor-in-chief, you could never use the verb to be. You couldn't say someone is going or whatever those sort of sentence structures are. You had to always be using active voice. And so some of it is just knowing grammar and all that, but it just, it helps move the story along. So, you know, keeping that kind of stuff in mind as well. But yeah, I think, you know, really knowing who you're talking to. Sometimes I worry that our stories are too for the female audience. I mean, we want to be for everyone in central New York. But again, when I look at who has a subscription to the magazine and who's following us on social, it's by and large about 75% female identifying. So Which then you just have to go into the demographic. Okay. How many people are consuming content like this or content period? Yeah. And I think sometimes with the voice, it's do you want to position yourself as an authority? And are you sort of not speaking down to, but kind of how you're exerting that authority through your words? Or do you want to feel like, oh, I'm your friend and we're at the coffee shop and I'm telling you about this great restaurant that I went to. And that's sort of more the tack that we take. We're sort of the well-informed friend that has been out and about and knows this, you know, what's going on, what's opening. And, oh, Alex, you would really like this. And here's why. And I have to say, I think I gave a very long-winded summary of all of my experiences, but I feel very strongly that every experience, the retail, the, the PR, every magazine I worked at, every single experience, and, and also the social media and marketing, gave me so much confidence and, I hate to use the word experience again, but so much experience that I can apply at this job because I am, I'm fact-checking, I'm researching, I'm writing, I'm editing, I'm copy editing, which is a different skill. I am 
coming up with a lot of the story concepts through my own research and just knowing I manage our website, I manage our social media accounts, I'm responsible for trying to grow subscriptions. Let me just ask you some more marketing editorial questions. How do you stay organized throughout the entire creative process? I would say that's probably an area of opportunity for me. And now that I've taken over as editor-in-chief, I'm trying to implement more things. So previously, when we would ask freelancers if they wanted to do an assignment, it was more of an email. And it was just, hey, we have this story idea. thought you'd be great for it. We can pay this. Deadline is this. What do you think? And they would say yes or no. Then they would just start working on it. And I felt like I really want something a little more formal so that all the expectations are laid out at the beginning. So now I create a document for each freelancer. It has my info at the top, their info at the top, so that if for whatever reason we need to get a hold of each other, we have it right away. And then it says, you know, this is the expected issue that the story is going to run. And I don't want to micromanage the writers, but I clearly have a very strong point of view on a lot of things. And so I at least like to give them an idea of like, here's what I'm looking for in a story. And I'm really glad that you use the word why, because why drives everything I do with the magazine. Why should we know about this company? Why does this person do what they're doing? Why does it benefit the community? And so when I edit an article that comes in, a lot of times I'll go, I need more of their why. I need quotes that support what drove them, what their, why this is their passion, what led them to say, I have to do this thing or open this restaurant or, you know, whatever it is. So I have that for them. I'm trying to build a style guide from scratch. Big magazines generally already have style guides and they have a copy editor or a team that puts those together. I want to keep that so that if we have new designers coming in or if we ever work with somebody from the outside, we have sort of brand guidelines. And yeah. we don't really have, we don't have a brand color, which sometimes is difficult, but we have brand fonts and all of that and obviously a logo. The other side of it is the style guide, which in editorial purposes is basically like, oh, we use AP style for punctuation and all these kind of grammatic rules that we want the freelancers to follow. And like one thing specifically to our magazine is we don't generally use the Oxford comma, which is when you have a list of things, bread, milk, and eggs. We don't put the comma after milk before and eggs. A lot of publications do. We use it only for clarity. That's an AP style that we follow. So I spend a lot of time every week in the style book. I pay for a subscription to the style guide for every year. And I'm so I'm in it and I'm brushing up on my own grammar and I'm checking on, is this a rule we want to follow? Because sometimes publications, they'll follow a structure, whether it's Chicago or AP style, but then they'll deviate on certain things. And so I'm just trying to build a style guide that will help inform our freelancers so that it can take a little off me on the back end of editing. So like little things that are personal to our magazine, Lafayette, capitalize the F in Lafayette, DeWitt, capitalize the W, just little things that are they might not think about or know which way we want to go. But I want to kind of lay that out for them. Like, remember, don't use the Oxford comma unless it's necessary for clarity. When we quote somebody, we always say says, not said. And so I'm just trying to sort of put that together so that instead of spending time changing all of those when an article comes yeah, in, which is just so tedious, they can I'm do sure. it. It is. It's. I mean, it's very easy, but it is time consuming. And then to make sure you've caught them all and, and all of that. So that's one thing. My client, Marissa at Macney, uses Asana. 
And so I kind of have, I'm sort of using a free version of it where I can outline every story that is going to go in an issue. I can make a note of which freelancers taking it, what rate we've offered them, the deadlines that I told them. And then I created sort of buckets. So like the first bucket is just like the lineup. The second is assigned to the writer. Then the next bucket and I just it's drag and drop. So I just drag them and I say, okay, now this is in first reading, meaning that the first draft has come to me and I'm going to edit and send it back to them. Then it's in second reading. Then it's ready for design, which means we have to upload it for the designers to start putting it on page with the photos and thinking about what part of the book it's going to be in because the part of the magazine that it's in, there's different templates and there's a different look for each of those stories. So that helps inform that. So that's kind of what I do in terms of keeping the story flow going. Do you have anything exciting coming up for CNY Mag or even personally that you're looking forward to? As far as Central New York Magazine, because of our, well, so I think when this episode comes out, it will be around the same time that our January, February issue will have just been coming out. So it's always exciting to to start a new year. And we look at all of our content through the lens of our seasons. So we have six issues a year. So sometimes that gets a little blurred, you know, issue to issue. But we're always thinking of, and that's the beauty of Central New York. What are we enjoying right now? We're enjoying different things in the winter than we are in the summer. And so how can we tell those stories in different ways? And so I'm very energized by predominantly all the things that all the people here are doing, because I think there's that misconception of nothing's going on here nothing's happening. And we need to break that stigma. And honestly, I told someone that's one of my biggest goals with the magazine is to say, look at all this stuff. We're filling a hundred pages every time and we could do more. You know, we could fill it so much more. And yes, there are certain people who are kind of the go-tos who are constantly generating new ideas and events and things, but there are so many people behind the scenes and in Mm -hmm. different sectors of the community. And we really want to tell all those stories. We see a lot of times people are really hungry for the good news, the positive news. And that's all we tell. We don't do anything with politics. We don't do anything with crime. We do a lot about philanthropy, home, fashion, beauty, a lot with arts and entertainment and culture. We Each fall, we have an arts and entertainment issue. Our summer issue is food themed. So that's always fun because we have an incredibly lively food and drink Mm-hmm. seen here. Yeah. In, not only in central New York, but or in Syracuse rather, but in central New York. And that's another thing is, you know, we are, our office is based in Syracuse. We're all by and large in Onondaga County, but we're really trying to kind of increase those boundaries and keep telling those stories because it's not Syracuse magazine. It is central New York mm-hmm. magazine. And some of the stories that I, there are different departments that we have in the magazine now that I actually created over the last five years that didn't exist before. One example is Our Town. It's kind of a glorified listing, but each issue we highlight a village, a town, or a city neighborhood, and we have a kind of a brief intro about the vibe of the community. You know, is it rural? Is it urban? What's that kind of that neighborly feeling? You know, is it very artistic community like a Westcott? Is it a bedroom community like Fayetteville? And looking at what are the reasons that people might want to either move there or just spend time there? Because I know, as I said, until I had this job, I really 
it's easy to be in your bubble, I think, especially if you live in the suburbs and kind of just stay where you are. And it's, you know, it's proximity, it's time, it's easier. Mm -hmm. But we want people to know how much each other community has to offer. And sometimes it's a lot like we just did Auburn. That was huge. It was a two and a half pages. And sometimes it's maybe a more a smaller, more rural community. So they don't have as many businesses, but there's always something to find and highlight. And so we talk about in that story in particular, we talk about local places to eat, drink, bars and or coffee shops, lounges, that kind of thing, local places to shop, things to do, annual events and parks and green spaces, places to get outside. Those amenities where, yeah. you know, if you're like, oh, I'm tired of my house, maybe I want to move. What does this place have? Because I think it's hard to know. And I think there are some we've covered some neighborhoods that maybe people have a negative perception of. But there's still so much happening and it's the people in those communities that are making it happen. Mm -hmm. And so just being able to highlight that effort, that's their effort. And we're just honored to tell the story. Yeah. No, I love everything you guys stand for. We have a lot of the same values and missions behind both of our brands. And it's really all about seeing Central New York thrive. You know, community and culture is definitely a huge part of that. That is our joy, right? We all, yes, we all have to go to work and do things we don't want to do. Well, I appreciate everything. I appreciate your story. Thank you for trusting me to share it with everybody. You're definitely going to inspire some young people that are creative and hoping to make a difference in their communities and just really pursue their passion. I mean, I guess you could, you're the definition of that. So (laughs) Yeah, I really appreciate your time with me today, Amy. Thank you so much, Alex. It's been a pleasure. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Cultivate podcast. If you have a second, I'd really appreciate it if you left a rating and review for me. Other than that, we have another women's coffee meetup this Saturday at Soul Society in downtown Syracuse. This is our third one, and I have high hopes for it. The last one, we welcomed over 50 women. It's free to attend event. We just grab coffee at Soul Society, and it's just a lot of fun. All right, you guys, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. I'll catch you next week for another conversation. And I'm just going to drop a little heads up here. Keep your eyes out for something super exciting we're going to be announcing very soon.